Christian Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Battle of the Big Shots. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. I'm Mark Webster. The actual candidates in the 2022 midterm election taking a back seat right now to the big shots who are trying to propel them to victory come Tuesday. Take President Biden at yet another Democratic Party rally yesterday, harping on the importance of this midterm vote. It's going to determine not what happens just next year and the next couple of years. It's going to determine the direction of the country for at least a decade or more. Not a joke. Then there was former President Trump out in Iowa last night who might have been campaigning as much for himself as anyone else. I will very, very, very probably do it again, okay? Very, very, very Trump is headed to Pennsylvania next for a rally on behalf of his endorsed Republican U.S. Senate candidate, Dr. Mehmet Oz. Oz hosted a rally in Lackawanna County yesterday. I believe we can have an all-of-the-above energy policy to save our environment and save our economy and save our allies overseas. Dr. Oz continued to hammer his Democratic Party opponent, John Fetterman, for being soft on crime, says Fetterman. I'm the only candidate in this race that actually had hands-on kinds of experience against fighting against crime. CBS News also asked Fetterman about lingering health concerns some voters have as he continues to try to recover from a stroke. We have shown more and shared more kinds of medical evaluation more than virtually anyone unless you're you're running for, for, for the president. Fetterman struggled mightily recently in a TV debate with Oz, despite having use of a prompter to help him process questions. President Biden and former President Barack Obama will be in Philadelphia this weekend to campaign for Fetterman. Most polls have that closely watched Oz-Fetterman contest as a virtual tie. Meanwhile, in PA's race for governor, Democrat Josh Shapiro held a rally in Harrisburg. When I'm governor, we'll do away with our reliance on standardized testing, and we will bring vocational, technical, and computer training back into our high school classroom. Shapiro is facing off against Republican Doug Mastriano. New York's governor's race continues to be a tight one as well. At a rally yesterday with Vice President Kamala Harris and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, Governor Hochul showcased her unabashed support for abortion. We will protect the right to an abortion in this state right here, right now, and forever. Governor Hochul hammered Republican challenger Lee Zeldin's opposition to abortion rights. The Republican drew a big crowd at an Albany rally slamming Hochul on crime and safety. He also spoke with Fox News. Kathy Hochul doesn't want to talk about any of it. She wants us to just look away. There's nothing to see here. She's calling it a conspiracy. And even as you list actual factual data, she'll say that you're a data denier. Zeldin says he's finding more support from centrist Democrats who are tired of the far left dictating Democratic Party policy. Zeldin brings his campaign to Western New York this weekend. He's slated to appear at 9.30 Sunday morning at the West Senate Community Center as he tries to become the first Republican to be elected governor of New York since George Pataki. St. John's University political science professor Brian Brown says Hochul's campaign was all about abortion until her lead began to disappear. She really tried to nationalize the election by pinning Lee Zeldin to Donald Trump, who we know has proved to be unpopular in New York. Now, whether did she pivot in time 
Time will tell. Brown thinks turnout on Tuesday will be high, except perhaps among younger voters. The cost of all that campaigning is, as you might well imagine, astronomical. A nonpartisan research group, Open Secrets, says this election is on track to be the most expensive midterms in history, with nearly $17 billion expected to be spent in state and federal races. CBS's Nora O'Donnell. Elsewhere now, new jobs report out today. U.S. payroll surging by more than expected in October, despite interest rate by the Fed, Unlimited Funds CEO Bob Elliott. The biggest takeaway from the jobs report from today is that the labor market remains secularly strong. The unemployment rate ticked up to 3.7 percent. Elliott says it's clear the Fed still has more work to do. International news now. Ukrainian forces gearing up to possibly retake the strategic southern city of Kherson from Russian troops. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin discussing that move on Thursday in what would be a major defeat for Russia in its invasion of Ukraine. After days of missile test launches, North and South Korea continue to buzz around each other like angry hornets. Historically high tensions between North and South Korea escalating again this morning. South Korea scrambling 80 fighter jets, including F-35s, responding to North Korea's launch of a swarm of military aircraft overnight. NBC's Raf Sanchez. Here's U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. We are focused on making sure that uh, nobody attacks uh, South Korea, and uh, we're committed to that. Our commitment is ironclad. And we're also committed to deterring uh, anyone from using a nuclear device. North Korea launched over two dozen missiles this week, including a nuclear-capable ICBM, though Japan says it looks like that launch test was a failure. A new RSV injection for newborns has been approved in Europe. The European Commission Friday says it's approved a new drug developed by Sanofi and AstraZeneca that's meant to protect babies from getting the respiratory virus. The drug is an antibody injection given to infants less than a year old to protect them against RSV before they get infected. The shot is yet to be approved in the United States. Earlier this week, Dr. Anthony Fauci said hopefully we'll have a vaccine in this country in a year or two. I'm Brad Siegel. Pope Francis is the first pope to visit the Kingdom of Bahrain. The pope landing in the Muslim island nation on Thursday for a trip that will last through Sunday. Of the one and a half million people living in that Persian Gulf country, 161,000 are Catholics, mostly from Asian countries like the Philippines and India. Back home, Twitter facing a lawsuit over Elon Musk's decision to let go of half of the company's employees. CNET's Ian Schur says the layoffs raise some bigger questions. The moderation teams, as it was before Elon Musk showed up, struggled to stay on top of stuff like mass harassment campaigns or child abuse imagery. And now the very idea that those teams could get smaller suggests that these issues could get much larger. Twitter began massive layoff notices this morning. Daylight savings time comes to an end this weekend, meaning clocks back an hour. There is a growing push to stop the biannual changes. Doctors saying it's important to keep it lighter later into the night. Dr. Fred Campbell says keeping it lighter later will fight against something called seasonal affective Disorder. Well, the shorter the amount of sunlight we get, more people are apt to become depressed. In March, the Senate passed the Sunshine Protection Act that would make daylight saving time permanent. While there is support in Congress, there's yet to be a vote on it. Now, speaking of feeling a little down in the dumps, that might be how Phillies fans feel today. In a thriller, 3-2 the final score. And 3-2 is the series as it goes back to Houston. But Phil's manager, Rob Thompson, says, hang in there. Just keep fighting. Just be yourselves. Keep playing hard, because that's what they do. They play it as hard as anybody out there. We just 
Couldn't get a big hit. Game six tomorrow night. Our Bob Price with a full check of sports coming up in a few. Still to come on the Noon Report. Tough commute in Buffalo this morning. Rochester tries a new tack to thwart escalating violence. And PA cracking down on toll evaders. Well, good afternoon to all. We'll carry this balmy weather right into the weekend. I've got the numbers in the complete forecast coming up. We'll see in about 10 minutes. Sounds good, Kevin Williams. Now checking the stories, making news where you live in New York and Pennsylvania. A major headache for some Buffalo commuters this morning. A multi-vehicle pileup on the inbound Skyway also piled up a lot of Southtown's commuters, backing up traffic for miles during morning rush hour. Now, most of us don't want to think about snow plows and slushy roads this time of year, but those chilly thoughts are hot topics in the city of Buffalo right now, where keeping streets clear in the winter has been a problem. Problem. Now the city has added GPS to its snowplow fleet in hopes of better coordinating plow activity with city residents. Public Works Commissioner Nathan Martin tells WGRZ. I think one of the biggest things that, that I know was a problem that we've talked about a lot is the parking on the, on the streets. So we had some issues with, with parking and not being able to move cars. And, and those situations really created a log jam for our plows. They're big vehicles. Martin says it's crucial for residents to follow alternate side parking rules in order to keep the way clear for city plows during storms. Rochester Mayor Malik Evans has announced a brand new initiative that's aimed at preventing violence. It's called Operation Talk It Out. And local leaders will be working together to try to get people to talk over their problems instead of resorting to violence. This will be an opportunity for young people to be entrained and have access to mediation services um, here at the city. Through our human resources department, we are even bringing in mentors so that way people that have disputes amongst employees can be trained in mediation. Those efforts are going to be focused mostly on the 14611 zip code in Rochester, which is one of the poorest areas in the state. Police officers will also be increasing their number of foot patrols in that area. Rochester recorded its 70th homicide of 2022 last night. And on Wednesday, a 14-year-old girl arrested for having a loaded gun inside of the Academy of Health Sciences Charter School. A 13-year-old boy was also detained after that gun was found, but he won't be charged. And those weren't the only school threats making news. The Tompkins County Sheriff's Office has charged a juvenile with making a terroristic threat. Deputies say they were called to the Cayuga View Apartments in Ithaca for a report of a student threatening to shoot up a school bus last week. The student released into the custody of a guardian awaiting a court date on that felony charge. And a student at the Cicero North Schools has been arrested after being accused of making a threat there. Onondaga County deputies say the 17-year-old sent a classmate a message on social media threatening violence at the high school, and that threat was later shared with other students. After school staff were made aware of the threat, officers searched the girl's home and found a Lock handgun. The teen, whose name hasn't been released, is facing multiple charges. Three years after the Catholic Diocese of Rochester, New York, filed for bankruptcy, a $55 million settlement has been reached for victims of priest sex abuse. It's like a, a weight was taken off my shoulders. Jim Callie was abused by two different priests decades ago. Attorney Leander James represents some of the 475 local victims. You'll hear time and again from abuse survivors, I never want this to happen to another child. It happened to me. I never want to happen to another child. Similar settlements are pending in the Catholic Diocese of Syracuse and Buffalo. The Syracuse Regional Airport Authority has announced a plan to add 2,000 new parking spots at Syracuse Hancock International Airport. Right now, there are about 4,500 spaces available for vehicles, but they often fill up quickly during holidays and other busy travel periods. 
Officials with Pagula Sports and Entertainment have chosen the contractors who will be building a new stadium for the Buffalo Bills, New York City-based Turner Construction, the Buffalo-based 34 Group, and the Gilbane Building Company in Rhode Island are going to team up on constructing that over $1 billion stadium, which will be built across the street from the team's present Highmark Stadium home in Orchard Park. That new stadium expected to open in 2026. Pennsylvania now, if you don't pay your tolls, you might have your vehicle declared illegal in Pennsylvania. More from Family Life's Terry Diener. Governor Tom Wolf has given final approval to a bill aimed at getting owners or operators of some 25,000 vehicles to pay their overdue bills for turnpike travel. After the law takes effect in two months, the process will start with the Turnpike Commission notifying registrants they're seeking to have their registrations suspended. At least a month later, the toll agency can ask PennDOT to start the process, and PennDOT said it will give the owners six weeks' notice. Terry Diener. Family Life News. Giant Eagle is once again giving most employees the Thanksgiving holiday off of work. The company says the majority of stores will be closed on November 24th, but some locations may choose to open. The supermarkets will be open normal hours the Wednesday before Thanksgiving and resume typical operation the following Friday. Corporate leaders are also planning to close those stores on Christmas Day. And here's a little piece of history you might want. Promoters at Hershey Park are offering roller coaster enthusiasts a chance to own a piece of their history. The park is selling commemorative panels of their wooden Wildcat roller coaster. Officials have preserved over 150 pieces from the ride, which closed in July after a run of more than 30 years. Each piece is engraved with a serial number and the Wildcat logo and sells for $300. The Wildcat's being replaced by a wood and steel hybrid coaster set to open next summer. All right, now. Now to the roller coaster world of sports. All right, Mark, let's check sports. The Houston Astros a win away from capturing their second World Series title in five years. They beat the Phillies 3-2 last night, now lead the series three games to two. Jeremy Pena hit the go-ahead homer in the fourth. The Strohs never look back. Phillies send Zach Wheeler to the hill tonight to try and force a game seven. Houston will counter with Framber Valdez, who's been lights out in the series thus far. The Philadelphia Eagles remain unbeaten on the season. They scored a 29-17 win on the road in Houston over the Texans. Philly QB Jalen Hurts threw for 243 yards, including two touchdown passes. It is the first time in the Eagles' 90-year history that they've started the season 8-0. Some good college football action this weekend. The marquee matchup tomorrow has top-ranked Tennessee taking on number 3 Georgia. Number 4 Clemson heads to Notre Dame. Alabama will travel to Baton Rouge to play the 10th-ranked LSU Tigers. The Brooklyn Nets have suspended guard Kyrie Irving for five games without pay for anti-Semitic antics. Irving shared information about an anti-Semitic movie on social media. He has apologized, saying he's deeply sorry for the pain he has caused the Jewish community. Foot injury will cost Philadelphia 76ers star James Harden some playing time. ESPN reports the 10-time All-Star will miss at least a month due to a tendon strain in his right foot. The veteran guard averaging 22 points and 10 assists per game this season. And it's winner-take-all in Phoenix this weekend as NASCAR's top four drivers will battle for the title. Joey Logano, Christopher Bell, Ross Chastain, and Chase Elliott all in contention for the Cup Series Championship. The final four will race 312 laps on the one-mile track Sunday in Phoenix, Arizona. At the Family Life Sports Desk, I'm Bob Price. 
All right. Thanks, Bob. Still to come on the Noon Report, we'll have an expanded pre-election day edition of Capital Connection. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Criticism of identity politics, the idea that tribal loyalties supersede all else and including universal moral truths, is mostly and rightly leveled at the political and cultural left, those who most often appeal to race, class, gender, or sexuality, rather than to arguments. Well, recently, the authors of an article in Aeon Online magazine leveled the same critique at those on the political and cultural right, specifically those who embrace religion as an ethnic and political identity, rather than because they believe it to be true about God or the world. Well, putting their obvious cynicism about religion aside, there's no question that more and more people now vote and then announce their vote on social media more as an expression of their political identities rather than after taking careful consideration of moral truth or of the issues themselves. This move to politics as identity is the fruit of a deeper cultural shift. A few decades ago, a group of left-leaning political activists announced that the personal is political. Today, the political is personal for far too many, where we locate our purpose and our value, not to mention the value of others, and our political loyalties. Something as imminent and pragmatic as politics should never be made transcendent. It simply cannot carry that much weight. Human beings need something bigger and beyond to ground meaning, purpose, and value. For most of human history, faith in God, or at least something transcendent, provided that higher order for life. But as religion, especially Christianity, is pushed further to the fringe of society and further inward to the private corners of the individual, politics has moved into the vacuum that's left behind. It's a poor imitation, and its loudly trumpeted focus on things like justice and identity are a shaky reflection of transcendent truth. Partisan leaders make lousy priests. Pet causes make lousy doctrines. Still, as tempting as it might be to disavow politics altogether, we cannot. As citizens in a democracy, particularly the U.S., we live in a historical moment in which engagement is a bit more complicated than it was for Christians in the past. After all, for most Christians and most political contexts throughout history, only so much could be done. For some, living out your faith in the public square could be reduced to, just don't get fed to the lions. Christians in America enjoy far more opportunities, but also face unique temptations. Even candidates who reject the tenets of Christianity often enlist Jesus for their causes. Even if our motives are pure and certain politicians and policies more evil than others, voting for any political party will mean making common cause with unsavory characters and flawed policies. A final thing we have to bear in mind is that some things about our Christian lives have not changed with the times. Our brothers and sisters in different eras or places may not have been able to voice their faith in the public square like we can, but that did not keep them from affecting that square in the way they lived, partly because they realized that life is more than politics, that society bigger than the state. From first century believers facing the hostility of the Roman state to the 20th century Christians living under communism's terror to Christians living everywhere else between, the church has found influence, both through little platoons of faithfulness in local communities and through the grand efforts of statesmen and heroes. Salvation won't arrive on Air Force One. A perfect world will not come through the ballot box. But a better world is possible if our actions, both political and otherwise, flow downstream from our Christian convictions and not the other way around. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Today's Breakpoint was co-authored by Dr. Timothy Paget. For more resources to live like a Christian in this cultural moment, go to colsoncenter.org.
All right, let's check in once again with Kevin Williams. A cold front will bring some showers tomorrow night into Sunday morning, and much of the area is parched. Could use rain, it won't get a lot, and then it'll cool down somewhat behind that front. Our call for this afternoon, though, is warm, partly to mostly sunny. High temperatures, 60s and low 70s. For tonight, partly cloudy and mild. Jupiter shining brightly in the southern sky this evening. The low temperatures in the 50s. Tomorrow, warm and breezy with partial sunshine. High temperatures, upper 60s to the mid 70s. A few showers across the area Saturday night into Sunday morning. High temperatures Sunday in the 60s to near 70. All right, thank you very much, Kevin Williams. You're listening to the Noon Report on Family Life. Welcome back to another edition of Capital Connection. Fridays during the Noon Report, we give you, the listener, direct connection to what's happening in Albany and Harrisburg with the experts on the issues. At the state capitals, they are, as always, Michael Gear at the Pennsylvania Family Institute and Jason McGuire with New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. It's all about politics, just a couple more days to go before the midterm. Michael, I want to begin with you in that all-important question. Will we know the results on election night? Your Secretary of State suggests we probably won't. What say you, Mr. Gear? Well, I don't know if the Las Vegas oddsmakers have put out the odds on it, but uh, I think uh, if the Secretary of State of Pennsylvania is saying that uh, we likely won't, I think there's a good possibility that we won't, and that's because of uh, some of the guidance that's been given by the Secretary of State and by the, uh, the Wolf administration to the different counties on how the count is supposed to take place, as well as the law that is in place. Pennsylvania has only been doing early voting now for just a couple of cycles here now. And so, uh, unfortunately, I think Pennsylvania may be uh, sort of one of those states where we're sitting around wondering uh, what the results will be on that Senate race. Yeah, been there, seen that movie before, and it looks like we might see a rerun of that. Uh, Jason, as we go on the air, uh, early voting has been going on for nearly a week now in New York. Is there any proof that allowing people more time to vote will increase the risk for fraud or abuse? You know, I think there's more concern over what it allows political parties to do. Democrats have been involved in ballot harvesting already, uh, sending out applications pre-filled. You know, they're choosing to vote absentee because of fear of contracting COVID. It allows them more time to check the rolls, see who's voted, and then literally bust people in or pick up those ballots. And so it becomes not so much a stolen election in the sense that, you know, people traditionally think, but there is some rigging of the election, if you will, and it chides it for one party. Yeah. Uh, the Pence- Pennsylvania Supreme Court this week, uh, Michael, uh, made a major ruling. All the mail-in ballots must be properly dated and signed. Um, how do you think that will impact the results on Tuesday night? Well, it was heartwarming to see that was a lawsuit brought by a number of legislators and the Republican National Committee asking for the state to simply follow the law related to the counting of ballots and those that are disqualified or shouldn't be counted. So uh, that, I think, will make for a cleaner election. That would be my view, is that uh, the law is pretty clear about those undated and unpostmarked ballots are not to be counted. Yeah, uh, we talk a lot about polls. This late in the game, Jason, one from Emerson College has Hokel up eight on Zelda in New York. Can we trust the polls that are put out, especially by a lot of these left-of-center academic institutions? 
Yeah, I'm not so sure we can trust those polls. They're, you know, the polls have been all over the place. I mean, there are other polls that show Lee Zeldin is up by one point over Governor Kathy Hochul. Some of the polls indicate the trend is moving towards Kathy Hochul. But I'll tell you, on the ground, it just doesn't feel like momentum is moving towards the Democrats here in New York. What's really going on is I think you're seeing endorsements. Um, we think of the Orthodox Jewish vote that's coming out of New York City. Uh, they have now endorsed and are breaking for uh, Representative Lee Zeldin for governor. They're unpullable. Uh, there are not polls being done in the Orthodox communities and those pocket communities in New York City, and it's in New York City which she needs to win. So I think the polls are unreliable at this stage of the game. Yeah, how is Zeldin polling in New York City? I had a congressman tell me he is getting over 30% of the vote there. Is that true? Well, early on he was getting 37%. By early, I'm talking about a month ago. That's probably going to tighten, but if he can break 32 35%, I think he's got a very good shot of winning this election. Yeah. Uh, Michael, no fewer than three presidents uh, are going to be in your state tomorrow, which, and this begs the question, which former president, because Biden's going to be there as well, but which former president, Obama or Trump, will help their party more when they barnstorm tomorrow as we head down the home stretch here? That's another interesting question because both have strong followings among their base and both have turned out large crowds uh, historically in the Obama candidacy and presidency and Trump the same with massive crowds in Pennsylvania. So it's hard to say ultimately, you know, who's going to make the difference. I think the one thing we know is that Joe Biden is not going to draw big crowds because uh, that's not been something he's done here in Pennsylvania or anywhere in the country. Yeah, I want to bring up Biden again. Um, you know, the, the elephant in the room or, or not in the room because he's not been on the campaign trail very much this cycle. Yeah. Uh, but I want to focus on some state races for just a bit. Jason, you've highlighted four state Senate races because a lot of us forget those down ballot races, which are huge as well. You're highlighting four state Senate races to watch uh, next week. What are they and why? Yeah, that number is expanding. I mean, you know, it seems like the map is growing here in New York. So what started as four is, is, is rapidly spreading. And why we're focusing on the down ballot races is because, remember, there's a Democratic supermajority here in New York that uh, prefers Governor Kathy Hochul's position on abortion extremism and other things. Uh, so I think it's important to remember that those votes do matter, not just what's happening in D.C. And we're watching the Hudson Valley in particular because that has been uh, thought of as turning to a blue district, but really it's looking like it may be swinging back towards Republican favor. Long Island is another uh, place where you're seeing Republicans locking up support. Yeah. And Michael, are Republican majorities in the state house and state Senate in jeopardy at all in next week's election? Well, you know, it's interesting because the, the redistricting that was done in Pennsylvania and really signed off by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court and really devised by them gave an advantage to the Democrats in terms of uh, the changes that they did in the seats. But nevertheless, it looks like that Republicans will likely be able to hold on to both the House and the Senate here in Pennsylvania. Yeah, and I want to bring up the president because as much as we want to talk, and we've mentioned the issues that are driving this election, the economy, crime, the border, education, uh, as much as we like to talk about that, it is also about the man who occupies the Oval Office right now. And Jason, the governor said in no uncertain terms last week during that debate with Zeldin, the one and only, that she would endorse President Biden. Emphatically, she said so, if he runs.
runs again. Do you think that uh, show of support may come back to hurt the governor in the final days of this campaign? You know, the numbers regarding President Joe Biden here in New York are very mixed. Um, and I think that's because of the political ideology we see in the state. Uh, Democrats are generally supportive. Republicans are opposed. Um, and it's almost a, a tie between the two. So I don't know how much it's going to hurt the governor in her general election, but it really does indicate how much she is tied to the hip of President Joe Biden, despite the crime and inflation that we're seeing in our state. Yeah, talking about Scranton Joe, as he likes to call himself Michael, the midterms are always a referendum on the sitting president, are they not? Well, I think they are, and that, that's why we see the fluctuation each and every year with the, the party that's not in power at the White House uh, seeming to gain seats. So I think it is an issue. Uh, what's interesting to me is the media backing of President Biden is starting to crack the New York Times, uh, raising uh, the issue of his incomplete sentences, his uh, nonsensical sentences and things that he's, he's now saying on the campaign trail uh, is an indication of cracking in his support, even among the mainstream media. Yeah. And then, you know, Jason, I want to just talk about that Senate race between Senator Schumer and an unknown in the world of politics, Mr. Pinion. Who is this guy? Is that race even worth mentioning? Could that one close here in the final days? You know, I think it's a race that is of interest because it involves uh, Senator Chuck Schumer, uh, but I have a hard time believing that the Republican Joe Pinion can really close those numbers. Uh, that being said, it is a decision of the voters, and if they think Chuck, uh, Senator Schumer has had enough time, uh, 42 years serving in uh, public office, and they're looking for someone new, then Joe Pinion could be a, a good option for those voters. Yeah, and then finally, you know, back to the Oz Fetterman race. We haven't mentioned it yet, but that's the one everybody's going to be watching on election. Night. How big was that endorsement from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and uh, where do you see that one going here in the final days, Michael? Well, um, it's going to be a tight race. There's no question about it. The polls continue to have a tight, but even, you know, the post-debate with uh, Fetterman doing so poorly in terms of just being able to put sentences together has been repeated even as he's appeared on television stations. So I think uh, that factor, his health, is going to continue to be a factor as well as those endorsements. All right. We'll see where it goes. It's our final capital connection before the election, and uh, we want to let our listeners know that you both have wonderful voter guides. Uh, be an informed voter when you go and cast that ballot. Uh, Michael, we'll begin with you. Where can folks learn more about the candidates on the ballot in Pennsylvania? PAFamilyVoter.com. And in New York State, Jason, you've got a voter guide as well. Where can folks find that? AlbanyUpdate.com. Capital Connection airs Fridays during the Noon Report or online anytime at FamilyLife.org. Just ahead, some good friends revving up an elderly neighbor's spirits. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. High pressure will keep our weather fair and balmy and also serene for another 36 hours or so. A cold front will bring some showers tomorrow night into Sunday morning, and much of the area is parched, could use rain, it won't be a lot, and then it'll cool down somewhat behind that front. Our call for this afternoon, though, is warm, partly to mostly sunny, high temperatures 60s and low 70s. For tonight, partly cloudy and mild, you'll see 
Jupiter shining brightly in the southern sky this evening. The low temperatures in the 50s. Tomorrow, warm and breezy with partial sunshine. High temperatures, upper 60s to the mid 70s. A few showers across the area Saturday night into Sunday morning. High temperatures Sunday in the 60s to near 70. Uh, sounds pretty good, Kevin Williams. Thank you very much. Finally at noon, a touching story of neighbors helping neighbors. Greg Gillespie with our story on how a group of classic car enthusiasts fulfilled an elderly Ohio man's dream. Brian Backish has a 1965 Buick Riviera that he often would tinker with, but a friend dropped by and asked him when he was going to finish the restoration. And he said, probably never. And I go, why? He says, I got a small pension. She got a small pension. We make the house payment. We buy groceries. We take the grandkids out. There is no money to paint this. The man's neighbor, Michael Damiano, told WKBN that he recruited members of his Youngstown area classic car club. Several members of the car club would gather Saturday mornings to sand and prime the car and eventually give it a shiny burgundy finish. The part-time project stretched across three months, but this week, Backish had the car back, repainted and fully restored. These guys are great. great. So I wish there was a lot of people like them in this world. The East Palestine Car Club paid for the whole project. Greg Gillespie, Family Life News. That's a sweet ride all the way around. That's the world we live in for Friday, November 4th, 2022. Thank you again for listening. Have a blessed weekend. Don't forget to fall back. Daylight Savings ends at 2 a.m. Sunday morning. Check the smoke detectors, too. I'm Mark Webster, Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.